Have we been recording Witty Banner? I started to, but then I stopped. This whole time? All right. Well, welcome to Bible Study, everybody. It's good you're here. Good to be back. It's good to see everybody. We're going to start our time in prayer, so let's just take a few moments and pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, just a, a night to meet, and we thank you for an opportunity, a place, and a time. Thank you, God, for uh, this gathering of people. I ask that there'd be a dynamic at work here tonight as we are opening ourselves up to your Holy Spirit. Uh, we say, God, have your way. God, speak into us, speak through us. God, I just ask that we would minister one to another and we would minister to you. We ask that even as you are here in our midst, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Uh, we ask God that you be glorified. Uh, we've come to be taught, so we ask that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds to receive all that you want to say. And I pray, Father, that there would be revelation tonight and new understanding. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And I need a volunteer to read verses 11 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. I also would like to take uh, just this moment to remind uh, anyone listening to the podcast, if you'd like to participate in Bible study, uh, you have an opportunity through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. Uh, there's a button there on that page to toggle, and you can leave us a voice, what would look like a voicemail. Uh, that could be a question, comment, something good God's saying or doing, or some good result of you listen to Bible study, uh, or whatever it is, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll endeavor to play that during the meeting. So if you'd like to participate that way, we encourage you to, and we'd love to hear from you. Hebrews 3, 11 through 19. Someone? So I declared an oath to my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. All right, thanks for reading that. And I want to take a few moments to just to talk about what this is talking about to us, uh, what the, the significance of this is, because what's happening here is the author of Hebrews is recounting a historical time. Uh, this is a time in the nation of Israel that actually happened. Uh, they'd been in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. God sent Moses as a deliverer. And so they were allowed to go out into the wilderness. They made a break for it, and they left. And that was the end of their slavery. They were pursued. Uh, God delivered them supernaturally. And then they began a trip that should have taken less than two weeks. And it was a trip that was going to go across a portion of the desert. They were going to enter into Canaan, and they were going to possess a land that God said that they could have. Uh, what didn't happen was it didn't take two weeks to get there. It took over 40 years. And so, and I think sometimes we, we think about that and we don't really take the scope of that into consideration. I mean, a two-week trip versus 40 
40 years. I mean, how many times more than that? Uh, you figure 26 times 40. All right? 26 times 40, yeah, a thousand times longer. Wow. And that's the scope of that trip. That's what it took. And you know why it took them 40 years, right? It took them 40 years because they were wandering through the desert till every single one of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, died. Every one of them had to die. And so they wandered. And they wandered, and they died, and they died, until all of them had died, except for Joshua and Caleb, and then they could enter in with a new generation of people. Now, what's interesting about that, to me, is that the author of Hebrews is using this as a word to exhort us, to church. He's trying to encourage us through this. And there is some encouragement to this. And that's what I hopefully will bring out tonight is some of the encouragement. But you can't overlook that there was some displeasure going on here on God's part. He was displeased by something that was going on, that what had happened there. And, and I think it would be ignorant of us to ignore that. And, and really, what was his displeasure at? You go down through the whole these, the series of verses, and you begin to see they don't really name off exactly the sin. In other words, they, they didn't say, okay, well, they did X, Y, and Z, so God was displeased with X, Y, and Z. But in more general terms, it was named off what had happened. And the more general terms, like the last verse, what did that say, Don? You were reading that. It says in verse 19, he concludes here. And what was the conclusion of all those verses? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. All right, so what happened was is that they, they, they brought it down to this, and they, they, they boiled it down, and they got it down, and here's what the author of Hebrews said. He, he distilled the whole thing for us, and he brought it down to this one thing, is that they had unbelief. They didn't believe. And so they weren't able to enter into God's rest because they didn't believe. But what did that unbelief produce in their lives? That, that's something I want you to think about. I want you to think about if, if it all distilled down to that, okay, that's that. But what, what did it produce in them? What did it look like? What does unbelief manifest as? And, and that was really some of the things that you see him describing in the verses above that. You see some of the areas where he's looking at and he's saying, okay, this is how unbelief manifests. Well, how does it manifest? It manifests in uh, disobedience. Okay. How else does it manifest? Well, it manifests in stubbornness. Okay. Oh, and, and, yeah, I mean, more, more generally sin, sure. But what does that look like? It looks like stubbornness. And, and it looks like... It looks like disobedience. It, it looks like murmurings. All right? It looks like, and you start going down through all the things that are being stated there. Unfaithfulness. Apostasy. Those were all things being stated in these verses. And, and you take a really hard look at that, and what you're seeing is, this is what unbelief looks like. Well, we have some of that. And, and that's really what the verses are about, is that he puts this in the book of Hebrews. He's writing to the New Testament church. He's not just recounting an old story. He's not just going back and saying, oh, this is a historical fact, that this is what happened in Egypt, this is what happened in the wilderness, this is what happened to this generation. He wasn't just going back and recounting some facts for us. There's a reason why he went back there, and there's a reason why he began to unpack this story the way he did. He wants us to understand what unbelief looks like. There's a couple of things in that. So this is how it manifests, and the other thing he wants us to understand is that God doesn't like it. Can we accept that? Is it okay to accept that God doesn't like certain things? Because he just doesn't. You know, and maybe it doesn't bother you. Well, okay, what does it tell you that if it doesn't bother you, but he doesn't like it? What, what should that tell you? 
What should you be thinking in your mind? Well, that really just doesn't bother me. Well, God hates it. So what does that tell you? All right, so we got to change our minds. In other words, I got to start thinking about things differently, all right? If I don't think it's a big deal, but God has shown his displeasure toward it and has manifested his displeasure toward it, then I would probably need to change my mind about how I'm seeing it. That this thing is more important than I think it is. This thing has more weight and more bearing on my life than I think it does. And there's certain things in the scriptures like that. Certain things that you read through and you think to yourself, well, I don't think that's a big deal. And God did. All right, well, then you need to change your mind. I need to change my mind. There's been plenty of times in the, New, in the Bibles, I'm reading through the Old Testament, specifically through the Old Testament, where I look at something and it didn't seem like that big a deal to me. Well, it did to him. Well, maybe I need to change my mind about that. Maybe I need to dig into why it's a big deal. Maybe I need to dig into things that he said about it in the past or things that he's shown about it in the past or things that he cares about it. And I know there's certain things that I believe and it comes out every now and then and there's people around me that know me, but it doesn't come out often enough for them to actually hear me say certain things. And I will say something, they'll look at me and they're like, what? Like you care about that? Yeah, I do actually. And, I, and my life reflects that in A, B, and C ways, and I don't do X, Y, and Z because of that. I would have never known that. Yeah, because I don't do it. It doesn't come up. You don't seem like the kind of guy that would care about that. I know, isn't that weird? But that's true. Because maybe I'm not the kind of guy that cares about that. But I know God cares about it, so then I care about it. Okay. All right, so these are, these are some of the things that God cares about. Unbelief is something that God cares about. Why does he care about it? Because it manifests itself in certain ways, and there are certain things about how it manifests itself that are bad for you, for me, and for the kingdom. It, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work out. And, and so you look at it, and you say, okay, well, well they, it manifests in this way. You know, oh, I'm a stubborn person. Okay, well, yeah, God doesn't like that. Well, well, it makes me who I am. Okay, God doesn't like you then. No, that's not true. That's not true. I'm just following your argument, okay? This is why I'm following your argument, all right? That's not true what I just said. God loves you, he likes you, he wants the best for you. But if one of the manifestations of unbelief in our life is stubbornness, God doesn't like that, all right? And so we need to start seeing it a little bit differently. We need to start seeing that as a fruit or a manifestation of unbelief in our life. Start hunting down, okay, well, where am I not believing? What, what is this unbelief in me? And why, I mean, how is it manifesting like that? Okay, well, that's what we really need to change. We talk all until we're blue in the face about, well, don't be stubborn anymore. Or I'm not going to be stubborn about being stubborn, okay. Well, that's not really how you go about it. You start digging into it and like, it's, all right, well, this is associated with unbelief. How is it associated with unbelief? Oh, okay. So I, I'm holding on to certain things or I'm hanging on to certain things or I, I get a hold of certain things and I'm afraid to let go of certain things or I'm afraid to be this way or that way. I'm afraid to look a certain way. I'm afraid to give in to something. Whatever it is, however it's manifested or whatever it's manifested, whatever. But it is a symptom. It is a manifestation of unbelief. That's what needs to change in us. Disobedience. Why are we disobeying? Well, that is a manifestation of unbelief. Well, it's not a big deal. Why would God care about that? He cares about the unbelief, I'll tell you that. He cares about the unbelief that's the root cause of it. How do I know that? Because it says it right in the verse tonight. That's how I know. And I think sometimes you start looking at too many little things, like I'm looking at the little thing, I'm looking at that, that manifestation and forgetting that that manifestation comes about, why? Because of some root cause, because there's something bigger in us that we have the problem with. And here's the root cause in these type things, unbelief. And God doesn't like that in us. He wants it to change. And anything that God wants to change in us, I'll, I'll tell you something about him. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little something about God. 
that I've found over the years. If he wants something to change in us, he will provide the means for change. And whatever else needs to happen, what the, the fuel for it, the actual substance for it, the stuff you need to get it done, he provides that. The tools that are necessary, he provides that. He wants the change because he doesn't like the other thing. And so the unbelief, you, you boil it down to unbelief. Well, the unbelief's got to go. Well, all right, he's going to provide the means for the change if you're willing you want to continue in unbelief you're going to continue in unbelief so what happens when you continue in unbelief what happened to the people in the wilderness they died but you know what the, the descriptor of that is there's an awesome descriptor and some of the bibles would say a little bit uh differently but was one of the bibles said well they wasted away or they died in the desert in verse i believe it's verse 17 the word there that's used for that is that their limbs fell off one by one. Yeah. So they just wasted away piece by piece. Now, I don't know that happened literally to everyone, but that's a great picture, isn't it? So you want to live, and see, this is the issue here. If we could have a big enough vision to see that far ahead, then we wouldn't live in unbelief. And maybe tonight, God will give us a big enough vision to see that, to say, okay, I don't want my limbs to fall off piece by piece. I don't want to waste away in the desert. I don't want that to be my life. Who wants that to be their life? Who wants that to be the, the way they're going to live out their days? It's like, that's what I got to look forward to? Seriously? Nobody wants that. And so God's made a way so it doesn't need to happen. But you want to live in unbelief, that's where it leads. What does it look like? It looks like rebellion. It looks like stubbornness. It looks like disobedience. That's what it looks like. It looks like all that stuff that we're talking about here is how it manifests. That's what it looks like. Murmurings. Never being satisfied. Always complaining. That's how it manifests itself. And so if that's how we're going to live, then that's how we're going to live. But understand, you're making that choice. And God doesn't like it. Because he doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want you to end up that way. He did not redeem these people. And, and you think about the children of Israel. The, the, he didn't redeem them so that they would fall apart piece by piece in the wilderness. He redeemed them to set them free. And to put them into his rest in the promised land. They made a decision to live differently. He described Caleb, I, I mentioned Caleb, where he, it said something about Caleb and Joshua, the ones that made it in, that they didn't fall apart in the wilderness. He described Caleb, he said he had a different spirit in him, a different spirit about him. He was different than those other million people that came out of Egypt, or half a million, or however many you want to believe there were. There are a lot of people who came out of Egypt. Caleb had a different spirit about him. I want that. I want that. I want that different spirit. I want something different about me. I don't need to be like the million people around me or the 500,000 people around me or however many people around me. I don't need to be like that. I need a different spirit about me. I don't need to be a complainer. I don't need to be a murmurer. I don't need to be a person that's living in rebellion. I don't need to be a person that's going to live in, in stubbornness and in, in disobedience. I don't need to live that way. I want a different spirit about me, and I, I want to be filled with faith. I want to live in faith. Because as much as I hear people talking about what they want to do and their big plans and everything. Man, it seems like people reach a certain age and they realize those big plans that they may have had or whatever just aren't going to happen. Some people call that a midlife crisis. If you haven't had one yet, God bless you. God bless you. And that's how the guys end up in the little sports cars and that's, you know, I mean, it's just how it happens. You just you wake up one day and that's it. And then you, you go do whatever you're going to do. But instead of that, there's probably a reality we can live in 
there's probably a bigger picture that we can live in. There's probably something more important in life than, than dreams we had as children. All right? Or even dreams we had when we were 16 or 17, that those could be replaced by something more mature in our life about maybe what God has for us, maybe what God wants for us, maybe what God has opened the door for us with and provided for us, and find rest and peace and joy in what he has for us instead of living out some childhood thing. What do I mean by that? I don't know. Figure it out. I mean, seriously, figure it out. Because I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. it. It's like you can't live your childhood fantasy when you're 50. Sorry. Probably. I mean, you might have been a Christian when you were five and and, and Jesus told you exactly what you were going to do, and you're still living that vision. Congratulations. Most of us aren't like that. Most of us were going to be whatever we were going to be when we were five. I was going to be a professional football player or whatever. I don't remember what I said. But it was some childish fantasy in my life that this is what I'm going to be. I can remember clearly when I was six, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told her a garbage man. Yeah, and I did it. Yes. I was a garbage man for a year. Yeah. I lived it out. No no, no regrets. <laughs> so, whatever that is, uh, you know, let's update it. All right? Let's update to what God has for us. And I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself right now, but I really want to encourage you to that, that we, we just can't live out of the childhood thoughts. All right? And we need to allow Jesus to replace those childhood thoughts with matters of the kingdom and things that matter for eternity and things that are going to matter in 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now and not things that we thought were cool when we were 10. And, and you'd be shocked how many grown adults are living out of fantasies when, from when they were 10. Grown adults. Because they never updated anything. They never got a better idea. No one ever shared anything better for their life since they were 10 years old. Well, Jesus has lots better. Many, many, many times better for our lives if we'll allow that to happen. So, <clears throat> somebody look at Psalm 95. Psalm 95, 9 through 11. Psalm 95, verses 9 through Okay, so that's the Old Testament side of what we're reading in Hebrews. And what all you need to get out of that, and like I said, the author of Hebrews really boils all that down to, is like I said, what was God done like unbelief in us? Because of how it manifests. You think about like a hardening of heart. When when you're hard you get hard in your heart. Like what does that lead to in your life? Bad stuff? You ever you ever think about or ever noticed if you've had a, a moment or a season when your heart's been hardened, what happens? Because it leads to sin. And we, we want to name the sins, but really the issue is a hardened heart. And really before it's a hardened heart, the issue is unbelief. All right, but one of the manifestations of unbelief is a hardened heart. And that leads you down a really bad path. That leads you down a path where you just don't care. And when you can't be touched by things, and you can't feel things, and you can't share in people's lives and the feelings and who they are, and you can't share emotions with people and stuff because you're living out of a hardened heart, that leads to all kinds of bad things. Bad relationships, bad decisions, hurtful, hurtful decisions, selfish decisions, all kinds of things. I mean, there's all kinds of manifestations of that. And it just leads to the wrong thing. 
You know, God is patient and he's loving and he's kind and he likes to reveal things. He likes to show us things and he likes to for us to interact with him. It's hard to do that with a hardened heart. So you look at it, you look at the, your relationship with God, that's going to suffer. But then you look at your relationship with other people and that's going to suffer too. All those relationships are going to suffer because your heart has been hardened. Why is your heart hardened? Because unbelief. Because unbelief, yeah. Let me think. I mean, I could give you my own, like, if I was to look at that and I was to read that and interpret it myself, like a connotative kind of understanding, I see disbelief as an active working against belief. I see unbelief as just not having. Okay, in other words, it'd be almost... I'm trying to think of two words that would illustrate that, but I'm having trouble because I, it's not coming to the front of my head here. I mean, if something... That's a bad one. What would be the difference between... Now, this is kind of a weird stretch, but what's the difference between disease and being unhealthy? I mean, what would that what would that be? Right. 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 Well, because they're two different things, right? That's how I would normally. That's how I normally see it, right? In my mind, yeah. I'm just trying to think of two words that would mean something like that. So, regardless of that, does that answer the question, or it works on it a little bit? It, but it, that also begins to to gnaw at the question at hand, though, as God is. You know, we would think of disbelief as being worse. And yes, disbelief isn't being named out here. Unbelief is. Right. And I, and I think that some of that has to do with unbelief, again, connotatively, unbelief as having a kind of a, a meaning to it of not paying attention, almost. Are not actively filling, right? So, so that in and of itself, and th and this is what I'm, you know, what I'm, to me, what this is really speaking to me is, I don't know that in our minds we would think of that as something that God wouldn't like. Okay, we'd more likely think of that as something God would understand, which He may understand it, but He still doesn't like it. He, he may, uh, he's displeased with it. He may be able to, and I know he can do something about it if we allow it. If we're really actively seeking to do something about it, he'll help us with that. But we need to actively seek to do something about it. We can't just allow the void to exist, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because us allowing that void to exist in our spirit, in our heart, is displeasing to God. Uh, per, perhaps uh, it seems that the the void issue becomes 
useless. In other words, in other words, leaving the void is useless and chaotic. Now I think of it more in terms of creation. Before there was anything, there was literally nothing. And so when God created the heavens and the earth, it wasn't that there needed to be something there in order for it to be good. It was already good. But once he created the heavens and the earth, he filled things and he put them in order. He didn't just leave it. Okay? So, so in other words, he didn't leave things in chaos. So if there was never anything, and nothing ever existed, that's one thing. But once it exists and once there's something, once there's matter, it needs to be brought into order. And I see that as a principle with God. So once we're in this position where all right, you have your life, how are you going to live it? Well, I'll just do the bare minimum and ignore everything else. No, you can't. That's not right. And I know generations have chosen to live that way. It's just not right. That is not what God created us for. That's not why we've been brought into a relationship, and that is not what our lives are supposed to reflect. It is by its very nature, in terms of the kingdom, chaotic and unproductive. Yeah. Sure. It, it could be. Uh, and I don't, again, I'm not talking in terms of like general philosophy. Like, like in, that, in that term, like most of the time, I could care less what somebody else is doing. You know what I'm saying? But in the kingdom and in the economy of the kingdom where we're at, our faith can't be like that. You know, it's not like, well, God does his thing and I'll do mine. That, it doesn't work that way. Or I'm doing my God thing and you're doing your God thing. It doesn't really work that way either. We, we are in this together, all right? And we are following after what God's called us to do. And so leaving that huge void of chaos, whatever, all the matter swirling around in it, but not having any form to it in our life is not what God has for us. It's displeasing to him. And I can see that in, in terms of creation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or is that really weird? Anybody? You get that? What I'm saying? Once it's there, it needs to be formed and brought into order. So, so he says, if you can hear, and I'd said this before, Unbelief manifests as apostasy and unfaithfulness in our life. That's how it manifests. There's a couple ways it manifests. And, huh? Yeah, yeah, like, like just walking away from our faith, walking away from stuff we believe. Just, yeah. And unfaithfulness. Yeah, like a disloyalty. That's how it manifests. And, and so we're to take heed and look around. And there's, there's a, really an exhortation here. It says we're supposed to encourage one another. And it says while it's called today. And we're to exhort one another. And so this isn't just a, a personal thing where, yeah, we need to be circumspect. In other words, we need to look around our lives and really see where we're at. And, and really put ourselves into a better position with God when it comes to faith and make the decisions we need to make and ask God to help us in our unbelief. We need to do that, but we also need to encourage one another. Why? Because there's still hope. Of course there's hope. God loves us and he wants the best for us. How long is there hope? As long as it's today. When is it today? Right now. Now tomorrow, what will it be? Yeah, that's why it's free beer tomorrow, because it never comes. It's always today. So when's hope? Today. Yeah. So, and, and it's kind of a cool verse because that's what it's saying. It's like as long as it's today, 
There's hope. As long as it's today, we should be encouraging one another. As long as it's today, we should be making the changes that need to be made. As long as it's today, we can look for something different than what we were doing yesterday. Because we can, because there's always hope in that. Because why? It's today. And as long as there's a today, the next day, the next day, and the next day, there's always hope. And there's always more. And there's always a chance. And there's always something else that can happen. Always, always. And when I say chance, I mean an opportunity to change. And so nothing I'm saying here is, is written and say, well, this is my life. This is how I'm going to have to live. No. No, that, that can change right now. No, that can change here. That can change today. It doesn't have to be that way. So you, you look at your life and say, well, I have unbelief. Yes, we all have some unbelief. God will help us with that. We need to recognize it for what it is and get it charged up. He needs to fill us with some faith. We need to ask him to fill us with some faith. Because we need that kind of a, a confidence and we need that perseverance and that steadfastness and partaking in Christ. We need that. I'm going to look up some verses just real quick here. Uh, Hebrews 10.29, I got a few of them, so if you catch one, just try to catch it. Hebrews 10.29, I think it's 10.29, well I hope it is. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Romans 12.8, and 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Hebrews 10.29, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Romans 12.8, and 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So as long as we live, as long as it's today, there's always a hope for change. Okay, Hebrews 10.29. Somebody have that? And does it make any sense? I can't read my writing. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's the right verse, but that verse literally changed the way I saw certain things in my life. Literally. Because what that verse began to speak to me about is an urgency. It began to speak to me about an urgency for my life that things need to change. When? Today. That I couldn't just accept the fact and just say, okay, well, yeah, I'm not worried about that. Well, I need to be worried about that if God's worried about that. I need to be concerned about what he's concerned about. I need to be uh, really thinking about what he's revealed in the scriptures that he's thinking about. And there's probably, and, and I was thinking about like, okay, well, these are the things I know God cares about. Well, how many other things are in life that God doesn't care about? A lot. So why am I worried about those more than I'm worried about these? And so what that verse began to do for me was to begin to set up some priorities in my life for today. Because I could be thinking about 80 million different things, but it began to set the priorities for today for my life about, this is something that I know, I know God cares about, and I want to see change, so I'm going to pray for that today. Okay, First Thessalonians 4.18. Thank you. Today we're going to do that. Romans 12, 8. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right, so those are all gifts of the Spirit that... Uh, that Paul's writing to the Roman church saying, okay, these are certain gifts that he's given to the church, and one of them is encouragers, to encourage other people.
Okay, First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. All right, thanks. I just want to pull out a few verses from the New Testament that just talked about encouraging each other and being encouraged. And, and taking the time, not only to take care of your business, but also to encourage and help other people. Because we're all in this together. To say, okay, I'm getting things a little straightened out. All right, how can I help you? Or if you see somebody, their heart's hardened. All right, just to take some time and say, oh, you know what? I, I know at least in one place in the Bible it talks about that being as a manifestation of unbelief. Can we pray for you to be filled with faith? I mean, you can pray for somebody for their heart to be softened and all that. That's good. But can you pray for them to be filled with faith too? Yeah. And encourage each other with that. I mean, I don't know too many people who get upset if you pray for them to be filled with faith. You know, like that's kind of the, an easy one. That's like praying for peace on earth or something. You know, everybody loves that one. So go ahead. I'm going to pray for peace on earth and for babies and stuff and food. You can pray, yeah. I mean, you know, you pray for all that world peace and everybody loves that. So pray that people be filled with faith. People love that. They love to be filled with faith. So we'll pray for that for each other, to be filled with faith. That's good. And, and that may speak to a hardened heart or that might speak to stubbornness. Or that might speak to rebellion. Or that might speak to disbelief in us. Then we ask God to fill us with faith. I know that sounds too easy, but I really think it might help. Yeah, I really do. Okay, so we need to take a look around. We need to look at ourselves. And then we need to look at others and who we can encourage about this. So we encourage ourselves and we encourage others. The last thing I wrote down on my paper here, this was in my original notes from this per, this passage, it says, do not be stubborn. Do not be stubborn. And he, as I went through this, this passage of scripture, again, you go down through, and the, the literal interpretation is for 40 years these people fell apart in the wilderness. And so we need to look at our Old Testament example. Like, I don't really look at the promised land as being heaven. Okay? And I know people have for years, and there's hymns written about it, and I know that that was the, the theology of the day for a few hundred years, is that, or a thousand years, I don't even know, but that the promised land represented heaven, and we're the children of Israel, and we're in the wilderness, and we're making our way <clears throat> through this life, and we're going to be heading to heaven. I know that's the popular interpretation. I don't see it that way. I really believe that, because I, I, I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't plan to fight whoever's there. I don't have any plans for war in heaven. I don't plan to have to fight my way in. I don't plan to have to displace other people that are in heaven so that I can have a place to live. I don't plan on going in and, and routing the inhabitants of heaven so I could take over their vineyards and whatever else they had to do in the promised land. You ever read the story of how they entered the promised land? All right, I don't think of heaven that way at all. And okay, maybe, and, and, and there's a possibility, maybe I just don't see heaven right. But I think there's enough other verses in the Bible that talk about heaven, and it's not described that way. And so if I'm using the scriptures to interpret the scriptures, and I get to that point, I want to come to some kind of conclusion about whether, okay, well, does the promised land represent heaven? Well, not from what I read in other places in the scriptures that describe what heaven looks like. No. And so I don't really see it that way, but I do see there are lessons to be learned. I do believe that, just like I believe this is one of those lessons. This is one of those lessons where you got these guys, they're freed from slavery, they're freed from bondage, and they just won't take it the next step. What's the next step? They're going to believe God. He performs signs and wonders and miracles, and all these things happen, and they were set free from their slavery, and they saw these miracles take place. 
they went out and they began to, to, to cross the wilderness. And the armies of Pharaoh, one of the greatest armies on the face of the earth, followed them and was overtaking them. And God stood in the way as a pillar of fire and smoke. And they were able to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when the armies of Pharaoh went into the Red Sea, the, the, the oceans just covered them and killed them and wiped out his army. They saw that with their own eyes. They saw it. But they wouldn't take it the rest of the way. What do I mean by that? They still chose to live in unbelief, which led to rebellion, which led to disobedience, which led to stubbornness, which led to all kinds of issues in their, in their lives and in the life of the nation. They made their decisions. Let's not make the same decisions. Let's not. That we can learn from. It's right in there. I don't need a theology about heaven and the promised land to learn that lesson. I can learn that lesson right here and right now and say, you know what? I don't want to fall apart in the wilderness for the rest of my life. That is not what I believe God has for me and what I want. And I'm not going to do it. God, fill me with faith. I don't want to live this way. This in-between, I kind of believe state where it comes right down to it. I, yeah. And you know what I mean by that. When it really gets hard and it really gets tough to really believe. Really. And to live our lives that way every day. That's what God's called us to. And the rest of this stuff, that's the manifestation of not that. So I think the first step is not accepting your present state. Because that's where you're at. You're saying, yeah, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm not going to. Because like I said, if God's displeased with something, he'll give us a way to fix it. He provides. He wants us to fix it. He's pulling for us to fix it. He's working with us so that we can fix it in our lives. But there's got to be a desire in here to fix it. And to say, I don't want to do this anymore like I've been doing it. I want something else. And if honestly, honestly, you're willing to say that, he'll meet you. He'll meet you and he'll give you what you need. I do believe it. And you can call that childish if you want. That's okay. I do believe it, though. So let's take a few moments and pray. And uh, I just want to just ask God to just fill us. Just begin to fill us. God, we just come for you tonight, and we don't want to live in this in-between state this unbelief state where, yeah, we know stuff and we believe certain things and we've seen certain things, we've experienced certain things. God, we've seen the miraculous. God, you do the miraculous. But our lives just somehow, there's a disconnect. God, I, I ask you, and, and again, we look at our lives and we can see stubbornness, we can see rebellion we can see disobedience we can see the manifestations of unbelief in our lives and so it's there we know it's there and we god we want to want to change that we want to do something differently something that isn't the same old for us that isn't just okay this is what i've done and this is where i've been but really something deeper and something more powerful and so god i pray that you would Fill us with faith tonight. Miraculous, powerful, living faith. Faith for the everyday. Faith for the things at work. Faith for the things in our families. Faith for the things in our relationships. Faith, God, for provision. Faith, God, for whatever it is that needs to change in our life. God, I pray that you would just fill us with faith. And that you would bring order into our hearts and our minds, in Jesus' name.
that where there's been chaos and where there's been a disorder, I pray, Father, order in the name of Jesus. I pray for a new order to the way we think, a new order to the way that we see the world around us, a new order to the way that we're interpreting the world around us, a new order that is based on being full of faith. God, we pray for change. We do. But tonight we're going to concentrate on some big change. Some fundamental change in how we're going to choose to live. Instead of wandering and falling apart, we take up your vision, God, in faith. Instead of living the fantasy of a five or ten year old, we take up your vision in faith. Fill us, God. That our very definition of success, our very definition of life and what it means would change because you're filling us with faith. So tonight we say thank you. And we receive. We receive. Thank you, Lord. I pray later tonight we'd be filled. I pray tomorrow we'd be filled. I pray tomorrow at lunch we'd be filled. Tomorrow evening we'd be filled. We want to live a life filled up in faith. And not accept the status quo of what it's been. So God, tonight I I just ask that you would keep us mindful. I pray that we would keep our hearts open, our minds open to you. I ask God that you would do some really, really powerful things in us over the next 24 hours. For God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Amen.